Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, theorists. So today, we're going to be checking in on our predictions for the most adopted cards from Innistrad Midnight Hunt, according to EDHREC. As a quick rundown, you've probably seen these episodes before, but when we do each set review, um, we come up with predictions for how or, or which cards from the set are most likely to get adopted into the most decks, according to EDHREC. And so we're going to be seeing how we did on our Midnight Hunt predictions, and then we've got our Crimson Vow predictions that we'll run by you, and we'll check up on those when we come back for the Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. But before we jump in, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us wherever you get your podcasts. With that, do you want to uh, run through your predictions for Innistrad Midnight Hunt? For Midnight Hunt, uh, I said the land cycle. There's almost no way that these lands won't get played. So these were the allied color uh, lands of the cycle, but we immediately are, spoiler alert, going to get the, the enemy color ones in this set. Um, and they enter tapped unless you have two or more lands, which is most turns in a commander game. So just kind of seem like easy pickups. Number two is Vanquish the Horde. This is the Wrath of God that can be, or I should say... Uh, this is the Day of Judgment that can be cast for two white if there are a lot of creatures on board. It costs eight if not, or I guess seven if not. <laughs> so the worst case scenario is they have like a big like thing, a big Voltron, and you can't kill it because you don't have seven mana. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just felt like the high was going to be so high that people would play it anyway. Fateful Absence was my number three. This was a white kill spell. It's a two mana instant destroy target creature. Its controller investigates. Um, white just doesn't have a lot in this space. <laughs> the color of removal, everybody. So um, this was very good. I said Poppet Stitcher. It's another very cheap um, uh, Talrand, Murmuring Mystic, all that kind of stuff. Um, this is cast an instant or sorcery, get a 2 2 decay token. And if at the beginning of your upkeep, you have three or more tokens, you can flip it, and it turns into an artifact that gives all of your uh, creature tokens, they, they lose all abilities and become 3-3s. Three so your bird, nope, it's a 3-3. Three three. Your uh, decay token, nope, it's a 3-3, three three. nudge, nudge, wink, wink. So kind of a weird little anthem and like tied into a token generator there. Um, five was consider. This was the blue... Uh, surveil one draw a card even though it doesn't say surveil on it um that card just does a lot of work and people play opt and a lot of things in the format and this is just much better than opt number six was infernal grasp which is the two mana black kill spell it's destroy target creature lose two life at instant speed for one in a black that is crazy that just was so so efficient i figure it will push most other kill spells out of the format um, seven, I said Ardent Elementalist. Uh, this is the Archaeomancer, but red, and it's a 2-1. And uh, I love this card. I've had a good time playing it. Uh, we will see uh, very soon if it made the cut. <laughs> um, number eight, Augur of Autumn. This is the uh, playlines off the top of your library. You can look at the top card of your library at any time. And if you have Coven, which is three or more creatures with different powers, then you can cast creatures off the top too. So kind of like a weird future site thingy going on here, Oracle Moldiah thing. And uh, that's just, it's so good. Green keeps getting these and I can't believe it. 
Dryad's Revival. Uh, this is the regrowth with flashback. I'm like, oh, wow, this is pretty good if you're milling yourself. And then 10, Moon Silver Key. Uh, this just gets anything you want. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's um, two to play, one to tap. Um, so it's an artifact, costs two mana. Um, and then you can pay one, tap, and sack it to search your library for an artifact with a mana ability or a basic land. So you never whiff ever and you uh, can get like insane things like uh, Caged Sun and and uh, Basalt Monolith or whatever you might want in that moment. Or bare, bare minimum, it goes and gets you your soul ring. So um, just pretty good. So my honorable mention was Cathar Commando. Uh, this just seems like it fits so well into what they've been building for white and also just is the closest thing we've gotten to a white Rex Sage in ever, forever, the whole time that magic has existed. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that's my my top 10. Uh, do you want to get into your top 10? And then um, we can go over... Alex Whiteclay was with us when we did this, so we have his here as well, so we can talk about that too. Sure. Uh, I'll go through mine pretty quickly. I'm not going to repeat the cards that you already mentioned. Um, so my top 10 are these the land cycle the rare land cycle um auger of autumn so outland liberator this is one point where you and i diverge outland yeah. liberator is essentially the cathar commando in green um it doesn't have flash but it can it's a werewolf so when it flips um and the other side like deals combat damage to a player you can blow up an artifact or enchantment so potentially a little bit more utility but very very similar overall um so I had that on there. I also had the Meat Hook Massacre. So this is uh, the legendary enchantment X black black. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, all creatures get minus X minus X. And then it's got this sort of, sort of weird, um, almost like reverse suture priest thing going on. Yeah. <laughs> um, where uh, when your creature dies, each opponent loses one life. And whenever an opponent's creature dies, you gain one life. So I had that on there. and. Other than that, uh, it's almost exactly the same as your list. Um, I also had the Infernal Grasp, Consider, Vanquish the Horde, uh, Fateful Absence. I had Cathar Commando, Moon Silver Key, and then I had an honorable mention for Unnatural Growth. Uh, Unnatural Growth being the enchantment. Mm-hmm. Um, one GGG at the beginning of each combat, creatures you control get plus X plus X until end of turn, where X is their power. Um, so, or rather, double the power and toughness of each creature you control until end of turn. Um, so that was my top 10 plus honorable mention. And then for Alex, uh, he had Consider, Infernal Grasp, Fateful Absence, Cathar Commando, Outland Liberator, Augur of Autumn. He also had Ardent Elementalist, uh, Moon Silver Key, the Meat Hook Massacre. One point where he diverged from both of us was uh, he had Triskaidekaphile in his top 10. And this mm-hmm. is the alternate win-con card that wins you the game at the beginning of your upkeep if you have exactly 13 cards at hand. And then his honorable mention is the Celestis, which is the three-mana mana rock that introduces night-day. It can loot and gain life. So uh, with all that out of the way, with our, our predictions laid out for the public, uh, Let's get into the actual top 10 plus, you know, another I I also listed number 11 through 18. So you can see like where our predictions sort of fell when they were close to the top 10. Yeah. (laughs) But overall, I think we did pretty darn well. 
our top eight, or rather the, the eight of the top 10, were all mentioned by at least one of us and most of them by all more three than of us. One of us. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so number one, the most adopted card from Innistrad Midnight Hunt is Infernal Grasp. Whoa. Uh, wow. Uh, yeah, who would have thought? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's in almost 9,000 decks on EDH Trek just a couple of months after release. So clearly seeing a lot of play. Um, next, we've got the land cycle. And of course, there's five of these. So, you know, they, they all have varying levels of adoption. Um, but they are all very popular. And as, as we predicted, um, we've also got Vanquish the Horde, the sort of white Blasphemous Act variant. Coming in at number three, uh, that's got almost 8,000 decks on EDA Trek. Uh, Augur of Autumn, that's coming in at number four. Then the Meat Hook Massacre, Unnatural Growth, the, the thing that doubles your creature's power and toughness. Uh, consider the Surveil Opt variant. Um, Moon Silver Key came in at number eight. And then here's where we got a, a couple surprises. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so Sarith the Viper's Fang is coming in at number nine. And she's got almost 5,000 decks on EDH rec. This is the uh, two green green, three four hu- legendary creature human warlock. Other tapped creatures you control have death touch. Other untapped creatures you control have hexproof. And you can pay one and tap her to untap another target creature or land you control. Um, so see, looking at like where she's seeing play, I, I guess some of this makes sense. Some is a little confusing. Um, she's seeing play in some like death touch tribal type decks. Uh, like Finn the Fangbearer or Cheville, Bane of Monsters. But it's really um, kind of all over the place, not a huge concentration in any one deck. So I think people just enjoy having Death Touch on their attacking creatures. It's certainly a powerful effect. Uh, Oren, Oren Frostfang. Uh, yeah. yeah, Oren mm-hmm, Frostfang mm-hmm. Like, you know, definitely attests to the strength of that ability. Um, but still and not. also, like, people have been playing with Bow of Nylia for a long time, too. Like, that's true. Yeah. Like, if you're raining it sideways, just Death Touch is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but certainly not something that was, like, really on my radar. Um, I think that's a maybe that'll see change over time, or, or maybe I'm just undervaluing uh, giving attacking creatures Death Touch. I, um, I also want to say that, like, looking at the list of things, too. I actually think, and and hearing people talk about it, especially when we were at like MTG Vegas, was um, I think we undervalued the hexproof. Also, mm-hmm. um, like Good there point. are a lot of people that were really excited about the hexproof and the untap ability because it's kind of like a pseudo counterspell in a lot of people's eyes. I mean, it can be a pseudo counterspell, but a lot of people considered it like a counterspell on a creature, <laughs> which mm-hmm. I mean, in in some ways it is, but also it's uh, there's just a lot a lot more open than that even um yeah so i think that is maybe something we both missed on after like talking to people about this too yeah and and depending uh on like sort of how you construct your deck like untapping another creature or a land could be really valuable if you've got Mm -hmm. something like a a marwin the nurturer or like a gaia's cradle like there are certainly like really valuable creatures and lands to untap Mm -hmm. i I mean Um, just to say something notable that I think is really funny, um, it's not a very popular commander uh, at this point in time uh, for pro- probably a few different reasons. But one of the ones that Sarah seems very, very good in is actually Daryl Hunter of Walkers from the 
Secret Lair Walking Dead, <laughs> who has tap deal two damage to target creature, and whenever a zombie an opponent controls dies, draw a card. Oh, that's um, funny, yeah. So you so can just, just kill ping, something. Yeah, <laughs> just kill a whole board, um, kill their zombies, draw cards, you can untap them. So just see that, like, we're probably going to see more stuff like this over time also, <laughs> is my mm-hmm. guess. Like, just just things that tap to do something heinous that um, uh, having death touch is pretty good also. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, number 10 is... Something that, um, well, I, I certainly didn't predict it, but after seeing the card in action and playing with it myself, I'm not surprised it's in the top. Yeah, 10. I think it is certainly definitely. a powerful card. Um, and this is Adeline Resplendent Cathar. So Adeline is one white white for a star four legendary creature human knight with vigilance. Uh, her power is equal to the number of creatures you control and then Whenever you attack for each opponent, create a 1-1 white human creature token that's tapped and attacking that player or a planeswalker they control. So uh, just after playing with this card in my Katilda deck and, and seeing other people use it, like it's not just a human tribal card. This is just like a very strong aggro card. I've seen people put it in decks that have no human tribal component. And as long as you're reliably attacking, this just generates a huge amount of bodies it's a fantastic mm-hmm. token generator. Like, assuming, like, the thing is, some of your tokens are going to survive the attack, even if they're kind of just chump attacks and they immediately get eaten by a 2 2 or whatever. Uh, some of them are going to survive. And being able to pay three mana and get immediately, like, a whole bunch of tokens on the board, potentially a whole bunch of death triggers, um, and, like, some of them will survive and you get to attack them next turn. It's just extremely extremely efficient it's one of the better like repeatable token generators in the format i think Um, yeah and and she's really scary to attack into also when you're sitting there with like a seven four on turn four or five mm -hmm. like no one really wants to come at you at that point yeah and she feeds herself so well like because some of her tokens are going to survive you can just continually like throw more tokens out there and generate more tokens it's just uh, very very easy to get value off of her. All right, do you want to get into the the next ones or because because we were close on a lot of things too, like the ones that especially me and Alex missed were not far off from the top ten. You, as you especially, I think like ten of your eleven cards we hit. <laughs> uh, I think. Uh, yes, that is true. Um. So I'll I'll quickly run through some of these. There's like a, a pocket of cards that none of us guessed or got. Uh, number eleven is Malevolent Hermit. Uh, this is the um, two cost two one in blue that you can sacrifice. You can pay blue and sacrifice it to counter target non creature spell unless its controller pays three. Uh, and then it has the reverse side that's Benevolent Geist with uh, you can disturb it for two and a blue. Get a 2 2 flyer. Non creature spells you control can't be countered. And if it would be put into a graveyard from anywhere, exile it instead. Um, I think we noted this card on our set review. We just didn't expect it to be, to see yeah. a ton of adoption. Like it's, it is, I think, a little bit boring for some decks. Like, yeah. Um, I think it's, there's it's just some a bread and butter type blue effect. But yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I mean, that's pretty much all I was going to say, too, is just I think that it's the kind of card that, like, does, like, a job 
for some people. Um, and that's it. That's fine. It's, it, we have something pretty similar in the form of like Lenalender Archmage. So I wasn't really expecting people to jump at a kind of worse version of it, in my opinion, but it's probably just good enough that it made the cut, you know? Yeah. Uh, number 12 was Morbid Opportunist. This is the two and a black, one, three. Um, and then whenever a, another creature dies, uh, you draw a card. And uh, this ability triggers only once each turn. So, or sorry, whenever one or more other creatures die, draw a card. Um, so this, I, I mean, we've certainly seen a lot of cards like this in the past. This one, I think people just got a really positive experience with it in like Innistrad Midnight Hunt, where it was the best uncommon, right? And it like wasn't particularly yeah. close. Yeah, um, it definitely. Uh, this is just a card that's like easy to get a hold of. It's going to generate a lot of value, especially if you've got some sort of sacrifice oriented deck. Um, I wasn't expecting it to do quite this well, but I'm not super surprised to see it here especially like you know after playing with the card it is just very good yeah that's exactly how i feel too and that's kind of the same i think with the next card which is number 13 was gisa glorious resurrector uh, which is whenever a creature an opponent controls dies you exile it and at the beginning of your upkeep you put it onto the battlefield under your control except it has decay and it's a four four for four um and new gisa it's kind of the same way. It's like, I, I see this as a good card. I know it does a lot of work. We had a big discussion about it on the episode when we talked about it in the, the uh, preview episode. And um, yeah, I just didn't expect it to be as high, but I guess it's just enough value for people that they're playing it in the same way that Morbid Opportunist is. And I, I know people also really like the character too. Like Gisa is pretty cool. So yeah, I get, I get I, that I, too. <laughs> I, I definitely think that influenced adoption. Like she's, yeah. Um, yeah, she, she does have a lot of fans. Um, moving on to number 14, this is Ren and seven. Uh, this is one thing I, I wasn't super expecting. Like planeswalkers aren't incredibly powerful in commander as a rule. Yeah. And um, it, it also was like, for a very long time like one of the most expensive cards in the set yeah <laughs> so those are things that like typically you know limit a card's adoption um but because it like you know works so well with land-based decks i think that's part of the reason why it saw so much play and, and uh although if you look at its um edh rec page it's really kind of spread evenly across a whole lot of land commanders um, yeah that there's not an enormously high concentration. Uh, it's really just like Sasaya, Borbor, Lord Windgrace, Omnath, Titania, Azusa, Multani. Like there's yep, a dozen different. Of the <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's, there's a dozen different land commanders listed here on its EDH rec page, and the, the concentration isn't, you know, uh, there's not a huge disparity in its concentration among all these different commanders. Yeah. In- interesting. Uh, I, not not too surprising i suppose um and then this is where we start getting into like our like more cards that we were expecting to see so number 15 is outland liberator this is the green cathar commando and uh, number 16 is cathar commando which is the white outland liberator those two were both of them were on my list i think 
Uh, both of them were on Alex's list, and yeah, I had one on my or I yeah. had on my honorable mention. Yeah, so yeah, uh, so we were certainly expecting to see a lot more adoption of those cards. I hope that over time, uh, you know, people will get to play with them more and perhaps see, see more adoption. Are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's just not a super sexy effect. Um, yeah, definitely, it's definitely a very strong effect and like very useful having a guy to chump with or do whatever with um that's easy to get back but also it just naturalizes whatever you want like that's very good to have around <laughs> i i just yeah hopefully they'll see more adoption it's like we've had things similar but like i was even running um that dinosaur in my jared golgari lichlord list until outland liberator came out <laughs> just because like having a creature that does that is like very powerful so uh, it's even better than the dino. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so number 17 on this list is the Celestis. This is a card that I keep putting index to or needing to put index and forgetting to buy. It's the three mana legendary artifact that taps for mana of any color. Makes it day when it ETBs if it is neither night nor day. Um, and then you can pay four and tap it to switch it from night to day or day to night. Uh, at sorcery speed and when it turns from day to night or night to day you gain a life and you can draw a card and discard a card so basically gain a light and loot every time it switches from night to day and if you want to you can do it yourself for four mana this is a lot of value three and tap but oh three and tap okay i thought i was four for some reason my bad so yeah definitely uh i i'm glad to see that on there like I, i like it when three mana rocks provide enough value to be worth running um just mm-hmm. looking at sort of the decks it's running it's appears to be like largely the day night commanders from innistrad midnight hunt so a huge almost all of its adoption like close to two-thirds of its adoption just comes from tovalar dire overlord decks and then a, a big chunk of the remainder comes from vadric astral archmage decks so it it seems like it's less you know people are seeing this as an opportunity to just play a mana rock and get some a little bit of additional value and more this is a way to force the transition in the decks that care about it i think we'll see more of this played in other places so um like on our discord dna was we were talking about like neon b 2.0 because uh, i have a neon b 2.0 list and they were brewing one and uh, they included a Celestis in theirs. And I was like, oh, yeah, that makes a crap ton of sense. <laughs> so like, mm-hmm. that's a deck where that card is really good. It's legendary, so you can pitch it to Neombi if you don't need it. But it also like has that looting ability. It's a mana rock early if you need it. So um, it's kind of like a perfect fit. And I think we'll see more decks where it's like that, where just like the occasional looting. Um, just as someone who was playing with day and night recently and we'll kind of talk about that at the end of the episode i think a little bit it actually switches more than you think it would (laughs) um it goes from day to night to night to day pretty often like not not every turn but um enough to where like you might loot five to ten times in a game with the celestis and um that's pretty good for three mana so i i wonder if people will start noticing that if they'll start playing like that or or what's going to happen there great question um all right and then number 18 on the list and we're not going to go through any more after this is the last one 
is Triska Decafile. And this is uh, the alternate win condition. This was on Alex's list. So people are aware of this card and they are putting it in their decks, but just didn't crack the top 10. Before we move into, because now we're going to do our Crimson Map predictions, but is there anything like that most surprised you from this? Looking at the actual versus what we expected? Uh, I would say the biggest surprise is that price didn't, seem to affect adoption as much as it has in mm-hmm. the past like mm-hmm. the meat hook massacre i think it's still almost 40 dollars. it's been 40 dollars yeah. for a very long time uh and yet it's the fifth most adopted card outside of the land cycle i mean i'm, I'm kind of quashing squashing those into one slot um but the meat hook massacre is you know it's within the top 10 uh it's it's seeing play in a lot of decks and it's been very expensive for very long ren and seven number 14 slot has been expensive was expensive for a very long time it's still around 20 dollars uh so that's what is surprising to me because you know the actual top 10 not incredibly surprising we predicted most of those cards yeah i was gonna actually say the same thing where like i had not looked at the actual top 10 making my predictions for crimson vow and now i actually am like wondering Mm-hmm. If I <laughs> if I should have changed it, but I'll, I'm going to keep it where it is. So, um, oh yeah, I have one more thing I want to say, which is I'm very surprised that Fateful Absence is not showing up anywhere. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, that's actually definitely true. I I just assumed that white, especially mono white, would be like itching to play some form of interaction at that level, and like. Nope. It didn't even break the top twenty. Yeah, yeah, not nowhere, nowhere near. So, although uh, here's here's another like data point that might help this make a bit more sense, or or like at at least help like to help you develop a pattern, perhaps. You know, when when Skyclave Apparition came out in Zendikar Rising, uh, I was incredibly high on it. I put it in my top ten for Zendikar Rising, and it underperformed for a long time on EDH rec. Fateful Absence is and of course like Sackclave Apparition, I still think it's a great card. I've seen it in action. Like uh, you know, a friend just played in his blink deck in a bunch of games yesterday and it was very good. It always had like strong targets to hit. Um Fateful Absence similar. I still think it's a great card. I've been playing it on Arena and my historic brawl decks. I've been putting it in all my white decks and commander. Uh I'm very happy with it every time I draw it and cast it. Um I I think just mm, perhaps in the future when we're doing our predictions, we should consider um, that maybe like some white effects aren't going to excite people as much as they excite us. Yeah, or, <laughs> I think that's definitely true. <laughs> yeah, or maybe like white cards that I, I don't know how to phrase this like white staples Ooh. that are workhorses <laughs> yeah although like vanquish the horde did do really well this time so maybe like white cards that um do things that people aren't as familiar with or like white cards that like build up white's ability in areas it's not really well known for because like people you know have a lot of experience with blasphemous act and have a lot of experience with white wraths and that's maybe that's why like vanquish the horde was easy for them to see oh of course this is good um whereas like uh skyclave apparition doesn't look exactly like any other white card Mm -hmm. 
and and faithful absence like there are only two white premium spot removal spells so maybe maybe it's just not something that people are really mm. yeah i mean i i tempered that this time without even like i said seeing these results like i there are some white cards that i think were like pretty good or good at what they do in crimson vow i just don't think people are gonna play with this like they want and there's also some white cards that i'll, I'll get into that just if they had like one thing different like literally one word different on them, they would have become staples, I think. But unfortunately, we don't live in that world. So um, yeah, I, I I definitely have kind of dialed this in, especially after today and today's episode. I will uh, appropriately gauge white cards based on non-freaks like you and me <laughs> who uh, are just obsessed with this kind of stuff. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, all right. L- I think we can transition to Crimson Vow. Yeah. I want to preface this by saying, like, I think that Midnight Hunt was a lot easier to predict cards for than Crimson yeah. Vow. Um, mm-hmm. It just seemed like there were a lot more. Oh, this is clearly a new staple that is for sure going to be on the top ten, and, and and like Crimson Vow, I I think is a weaker set than Midnight Hunt. There's certainly like less or or fewer plants for Commander, and like after my first five cards ish uh i just became a lot less confident i'm, I'm yeah. a lot less confident <laughs> about like these predictions than about any of my midnight hunt predictions yeah no i totally get that but with that being said let's start with my list okay uh i i think that the land cycle is a slam dunk that's for sure yeah gonna be among the most adopted cards on the set that's easy um demonic bargain is two and a black for a sorcery you can uh, exile the top 13 cards of your library then search your library for a card and put it in your hand then shuffle so it's a relatively cheap tutor there's not been that many tutors uh that cost less than four mana that have been printed in the last about decade um and just like comparing it to grim tutor the other three mana tutor in commander um Grim Tutor, it's it's like thirteen ish bucks, um, and it's also like certainly a lot less good than Demonic Tutor or Vampiric Tutor, but it sees play in many many decks, oh, certainly over ten thousand decks on EDH Rec. And um, one thing I want to note is, in terms of dollar value, Demonic Bargain is very cheap to pick up at the moment. You can pick up Demonic Bargain for $0.27 cents, uh, or $0.50 cents for the full art version, um, or the extended art version, rather. So I just think it's a really easy no-brainer. If you want tutors in your deck, this is an efficient one. I think for the most part, you're not going to get burned by that Exile the Top 13 cards. Maybe that'll scare some people off, but it's this is just like clearly a good card. It's easy to acquire. I have high expectations for it. Next is Wash Away. This card is not incredibly sexy, but uh, it's the Cleave counterspell. So you can, it's essentially for a cancel uh, as you know one blue blue counter target spell, or you can pay a single blue mana and counter a spell not cast from its owner's hand. So that includes cards cast from the command zone or from exile, which happens sometimes, uh, or from graveyards. So I think it's pretty versatile, but I don't think it's going to like crack 
the the top 10 counter spells but it's a powerful card that i think we're going to see a decent amount of, of play from all right hole breaker horror uh I, I gotta look up the exact text box on this card because it is oh. very long <laughs> yeah uh, this is five blue blue for a seven eight kraken horror as flash it can't be countered whenever you cast a spell you can bounce a spell you don't control to its owner's hand or return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand um so it's a tide spout tyrant but can't be countered has flash uh can't bounce lands but otherwise it's just a, a significant upgrade over the original and it's splashy. Uh, it's going to see play in, at the very least, Sea Monsters decks. Um, but this is just like a fun Timmy card, powerful combo potential. I, I think there's a lot you can do with this, and uh, I'm expecting it to see some play. Mm-hmm. Uh, by invitation only is the White Wrath, where you can make everyone sacrifice up to 13 creatures for three white white. Uh, Necro Duality is the enchantment three and a blue that whenever a non-token zombie enters the battlefield under your control, create a token copy of it. Well, Necrodality, clearly it's only going to see play in the zombie decks, but I think all of them want to run it. And this is a little bit cheating, but looking at the card, um, so we don't, I mean, like EDH Rec already has pages up for uh, Crimson Vow. We don't look at those, but we do look at prices. And yeah. Necroduality is currently at like $20 and it's certainly not a standard card. So I, I'm assuming that that $20 price tag is almost entirely driven by casual players and commander players. And so I would expect that if if there's that much demand for the card, it's probably going to see a lot of play in commander. Okay, Bell Stinger. This is a... I mean, easily the best exploit creature out of the set. There's been some conversations about maybe playing it in standard, um, but two in a black for a 3-2 creature zombie scorpion with death touch and exploit, and when it exploits a creature, target player draws two card and loses two life. This is another like slam dunk for zombie decks, even budget ones. Like It's only 20 cents. Uh, it just generates a huge amount of value. If you have will, to- will health on the battlefield, then it will uh, give you a token if you're sacrificing a non-token creature, or you can just sacrifice a decayed token, which is, you know, a good source of value. You draw cards, you gain life. It's cheap. Uh, it just seems like a fantastic card for those zombie decks and even other sacrifice decks. I don't even know if it's bizarre or or too <laughs> weird to run this in like a Marin of Clan Neltoth. I think that might just be decent. Mm-hmm. No, I think it's it's simply good (laughs) this next card this could be a sleeper um this is curse of hospitality this is two in a red for an uh, aura curse with enchant player and creatures attacking enchanted player have trample and whenever a creature deals combat damage to a player the creature's controller exiles the top card of that uh cursed person's library and they can cast it this turn um this is something that zach and i were both really impressed with when we played it in two at a giant crimson vow sealed i think it has legs in commander and i think it's just i think the biggest barrier to its adoption is i think people just aren't really like talking about it or thinking about it it's not like a staple effect that you think oh i have to jam this in my deck 
like, yeah, you're going to put it in your Prosper deck, but for most decks, they aren't really thinking about this card. And I would encourage people to give it a shot. I think it will perform well if people give it a chance. All right, number nine on my list is Reckless Impulse. This is one in a red or a sorcery. Um, Exile the top two cards of your library and you can play them this turn. Or actually, sorry, you can play them until the end of your next turn. Uh, So this is, I mean, it's just draw two for two in red most of the time in a deck with like a low curve. Like I'm not going to run this in my Felden of the Third Path list, which just has a bunch of like six drop creatures, seven drop creatures, whatever. But in a low to the ground red deck, uh, that is going to be able to cast almost everything it flips off the top. I think this is a great card and easy inclusion in a lot of decks. It is boring, but there are some decks that are going to be looking for this. Like Prosper is incredibly popular. It's an easy inclusion for Prosper. Um, and hopefully that will get people just realizing, oh, this is just like a good card worth playing in sort of the same way that... Um, you know, there there wasn't a lot of buzz around like tormenting voice effects for a while, but people just kind of randomly put them in decks, and then eventually, like the whole class of cards started seeing a lot more adoption. So that like thrill of possibility, it didn't take nearly as long for people to recognize, oh, this is a good card because they had experience with other rummaging effects by then. Um, yeah, I just think that I well, I would hope that Reckless Impulse uh, sees some play and that we can get more cheap impulse draw effects like in the future i'm almost done uh number 10 on my list is lantern of the lost this is the like it's like a relic of progenitus essentially but instead of having the ability to tap and make it somebody exile a card from the graveyard it's just when it enters the battlefield you put tart you exile tart card into graveyard i think this is slightly better than relic um Definitely better than Soul Guide Lantern from Theros Beyond Death. And both of those cards see, you know, 10,000-ish decks. See play in 10,000 decks on ADHREC. So uh, I have high hopes for this, but I am also aware that, like, slight minor upgrades on staple effects don't always get a lot of attention because they're not very sexy. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, honorable mention for me, this is two cards. I'm definitely cheating here. Uh, but this <laughs> is Scattered Thoughts and Thirst for Discovery. I think these are just like excellent blue spells, but the high quality blue spells we've been seeing in recent, in like, I don't know, the last year or so, um, haven't been getting a lot of attention. People, they haven't seen a ton of adoption. Like, Raven Lore is fantastic. Um, the flashback spell from Innistrad Midnight Hunt uh, is also very good. Haven't seen a lot of play in that for that card in, ED, in EDH and Commander. Um, so I, I want to highlight these two cards because I think they're great, but I I don't think the community is really paying attention to them. I'm going to disagree at one point. Because my honorable mentions, I'm not actually going to claim because I put too many cards in it. I, they're just cards I want people to take note of if they are listening. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and I I agree with you on Scattered Thoughts 100% because that card has been great for me. It's been great in Limited. It's been great in Commander. And uh, it. I was running Factor Fiction 
for a, a long time. I put factor fiction in a lot of blue decks uh, and also in blue decks that care about the graveyard because it puts the pile that you don't pick into the graveyard. Um, scattered thoughts just like streamlines that whole process. Like I know you're looking at one less card, but now like the opponent slash table doesn't have to sit there and agonize over like the piles they're going to give you. You just kind of go... It doesn't slow down the game the way Factor Fiction does. Yeah, and not to say that like there's not value in that for some people. That people like like Factor Fictioning and watching people agonize over like, oh no, there's a counter spell, a bomb, and a draw spell. What do we give them? You know, like something Mm -hmm. like that. But I enjoy just kind of end step popping this off, getting the two cards I want, reanimating the thing that I want, like not having to go through that extra step (laughs) not having to give Um, away information yeah Um, and i will just say like i I don't think i mentioned it when we did our um our set review with legendary creature guys but factor fiction is in over fifty thousand decks on edh rec it is one of the most played blue cards and yeah scattered thoughts whether or not you think it's like better it's super close, so uh, yeah. <laughs> perhaps it will see a, a lot of adoption if people sort of make that connection and find room in their deck for it. Yeah, I, I hope so. So I'm going to get into mine. I actually had to change mine because I forgot. To, the lands were such a no-brainer, I forgot to put them on my list. <laughs> <laughs> so as you were, you were doing yours, I had to edit mine a little bit. Sorry to uh, the curse which I dropped from my list, <laughs> but um, I agree with you. So that's going to be one of my, my talking points at the end, I guess. So my number one is the lands, like Nick said. Uh, and my number two is going to be Welcoming Vampire. The Welcoming Vampire is a 2-3 flyer vampire for two and a white, so three mana value. It says whenever one or more other creatures with power two or less enter the battlefield under your control, draw a card. This ability triggers only once each turn. This is card draw and white. This is all the fun of Mentor of the Meek without having to pay for it, except you only get it one at a time. Mentor of the Meek is a card I've like cut from a bunch of white decks because it mm-hmm. just was like too much mana. It was too slow. This is a card I've put into white decks since getting a handle on it because it's no mana and it's very fast. <laughs> and if you can trigger it every turn, say in like a Gavi Nest Warden list where you get a 2-2 to draw a card um, and just keep your hand like really fat or you can play a guy to draw your second card for the turn to get a 2-2 or you can cycle a guy to get a drake and blah 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 whatever it just kind of all fits together pretty well there's a lot of decks that really want this kind of effect um, and a lot of white decks that have just been clamoring for any card advantage they can scrape together um, I think this is better than Mangara I think this fits into more decks than Mangara did um, I've cut Mangara from a lot of white decks so mm-hmm. sorry to um, the 2-4 lifelink for 4 mana or whenever an opponent casts 2 or more spells in a turn you draw a card and whenever they attack with 2 or more creatures you draw a card just didn't pan out for me um, maybe someone else out there has had a better experience with him um, I still have him in a deck but that's Neombi 2.0 where it matters that he's legendary and I can pitch him if he's bad. <laughs> so yeah, just this seems like it's a lot better. Um, my next card on the list is Whole Breacher Horror. I don't need to talk about that again. This is a lot of stats on a flash creature that can basically just take over a game. The fact that it doesn't bounce lands is kind of a knock on it against Tidespout Tyrant, but the fact that it bounces spells 
is absolutely absurd. So um, turn your consider into a uh, remand for one mana. <laughs> oh yeah, beautiful. Pretty insane. So um, definitely high up on my list. I think it's good for Timmy, good for Spike. Everyone's going to enjoy it. Um, Necro Duality is on my list, uh, followed by my number five Headless Rider. And I, I kind of was trying to cheat and Nick convinced me not to, to put them in the same category. Because if you're playing a zombie deck, you just are going to be playing one of these. Fell Stinger, I also was going to include and figured that was just ridiculous. So I have Necro Duality. I have Headless Rider on here. They're going to be played in zombie decks. Um, not really too much to say about this. Uh, Headless Rider is the three mana three one, where whenever it or another zombie you can non-token zombie you control dies, you create a two two black zombie creature token. Um, and we talked about Necro Duality already. Uh, Avabrook Caretaker is going to be on my list, so I believe that this will be played in um, the werewolf decks that exist. So Tovalar um, and any other scrambling. Ulrichs that might still exist or whatever. Um, but I also think that this is going to be played in like Tulsimir. I think this will be played in just like white, green. I think it'll be played in like mono green, go wide. Um, it's not hard to make the day night thing happen. Like I said, it happens like kind of organically over and over again. And um, it's just a lot of value. It's hard to kill. It's like kind of sexy. Um, it, it does a big splashy thing and it's like I said, it's just a lot for six mana. So this is a card that I think um, Timmy's are going to like, and I'm putting it on my list. And I, I try to do a different list than Nick, even though I think actually we agree on most things. <laughs> I try to find cards that are separate from his. So so one of us will end up being right, <laughs> a little more right than the other. Um, so the next one is Change of Fortune. This is the four mana kind of wheel spell. Uh, so it says four mana, three and a red sorcery. Discard your hand, then draw a card for each card you've discarded this turn. Um, there's a lot of wheel decks out there, and that's pretty much one of my favorite things to do is discard my hand. So I love this card, but I, I don't think it's just me. I think it's going to be any and all wheel decks that exist. It's going to be Nekusar, it's going to be Shabraz and Brawlin. If you're playing Bone Miser with red, you're probably going to play Change of Fortune, you know? So um, I, I think this is just going to be a utility card that it is actually kind of sexy on the surface. Um, my next one is going to be Wash Away. Um, and I actually I looked at the top ten um counter spells as you were going over this card, and it might break in because you know what's one of the top ten counter spells is like Dispel is the tenth one, Fluster Storm is the ninth one, um, Pact of Negation is the eighth one, mm -hmm. um. Mana Drain. So it's like some of the big ones, Fierce Guardianship, and then it's like really normal ones. It's like Arcane Denial, Swan Song, Negate. So I, I actually think this might get in there because not only does it counter like flashback spells, like rebound spells, um, like uh, foretold spells or anything like that. It also counters commander spells. And I think for one mana, that's enough value that I will be okay playing three every now and then if I need it. And I wouldn't be surprised if it jumped way high up in these rankings in, in three months' time. So um, I'm very much with you. I think this is a very, very popular or very powerful card. I'm assuming it's going to be very popular. My ninth one is kind of from left field. So this is Toxreal, the Corrosive. So Toxreal, just in the time I've seen it, seen people talk about it, um, 
It's one of the best reanimation targets you can do right now. Not only as a commander, but as a creature, just a big donk to reanimate. It has an immediate effect on the board. Um, I think that it is two color, which kind of is a knock on it. But I think like any deck that has anything to do with counters in multiple colors is going to like have anything to do with this. So like um, Volrath the Shape Stealer, it's going to be played in Umbris because it's a horror. Um, I think it's going to be played in decks like like Sephiris, um, which reanimates in three colors. The Mimeoplasm, mm-hmm. which like kind of reanimates in three colors. Um, it's like impossible to keep off the table in like a Moldrotha. I think this is going to see a lot of play in a lot of um, blue black X decks, just because it's just so backbreaking and it is just mm-hmm. the, a spicy guy to get back. So that that's my kind of left field one. And then I put Thirst for Discovery on here too. So 10 is Thirst for Discovery for me. I do want to say that I had a hard time with Reckless Impulse also. Uh, that's one that I did not keep on. I had uh, by invitation only, and I did not keep that one on uh, just because it's a wide effect that I'm not sure how sexy it is. So I'm not sure if people are going to play it because it's 1000% amazing. It's a great card. I highly recommend you play it. So I'm talking about the five mana pick zero to 13 and player sacrifice that many creatures. Um, and then the reckless impulse is the two mana divination in red, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like when you hit two lands off a of reckless impulse, like you feel pretty good. You're like, oh, well, that's taken care of for now. <laughs> like, don't got to think about that. And then when you hit two spells, you're like, oh, yeah, like you feel like you won. And it's like, two mana <laughs> it's just absolutely insane value so uh, my honorable mentions are just not i'm not going to count these when we do um when we come back and check on these but uh, scattered thoughts uh, for what i said earlier and then i had two more white cards so sigarda's summons is a six mana enchantment for white white each creature you control with a plus one plus one counter on it is a white angel creature with base power and toughness four four and flying in addition to its other stuff um this is basically a white overrun if you're playing um any plus one plus one shenanigans in a white deck this is a huge way to buff your team and it like plays well with other overruns too wedding invitation is the other one and this is the one i want to talk about kind of because i have beef with it um because if it had said you may transform wedding invitation you may instead of you must (laughs) I think this card would have been on my list. This would have been in my top 10. So wedding announcement is the three mana flip enchantment. It is two and a white. At the beginning of your end step, put an invitation counter on wedding announcement. If you attack with two or more creatures this turn, draw a card. Otherwise, create a one one white human creature token. Then if wedding announcement has three or more invitation counters on it, transform it. So if this literally said you may transform it, I think this would have been in my top 10. I think this card would have been amazing. It would have been um, creatures and cards when you need them in the decks that want those. And if you ever really needed to flip it into an anthem, a pretty mediocre anthem for any reason, it would be there for you, but you're not forced into just a glorious anthem. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm so frustrated with this card. It could have been great. It could have been amazing. And they decided to tell us no. So those are my my top Cards you should look at. I'm not going to count them as honorable mentions because there's too many of them. All of that said, um, 
how do you feel about Crimson Vow? I, I think a lot of this set was concentrated in the rares. Honestly, like a lot of the power, you know? I really like uh, the zombie stuff in the set. And of course, getting the lands is great, but I'm just not nearly as excited about Crimson Vow overall as I was about Midnight, Midnight Hunt. Um, in addition to just not having as exciting commanders, like there were so many new staples in Innistrad Midnight Hunt, and I would hesitate to call pretty much anything on our lists other than Demonic Bargain and the lands. I, I, I wouldn't call most of these cards new staples and and i think that the as far as the like the mythic cycle of the cemetery blanks cemetery protectors cemetery whatever's those like flopped really hard for commander too they really aimed those towards competitive not to say you can't play them in commander not to say you shouldn't be excited to play them in some of your commander decks but like uh where the other cycle the adversaries there's a bunch of them that were crazy good for commander the the zombie guy, the uh, the white one, which is basically like way too expensive overrun and white intrepid mm-hmm. adversary. Like this cycle just kind of flops really yeah. hard. <laughs> so it, it just, yeah, they just really put the power in weird places for this set. Yeah. I, I wish I knew more about what was going on kind of behind the scenes. Cause it, it's, it's so weird to have like two consecutive sets with the same, like, mechanical themes and and of course the same setting and have one be like awesome and everyone likes it and one be really disappointing but um yeah can can i ask you a question actually about that do you think that is because they are so close together do you think like if we had had midnight hunt and then a year later we had had crimson vow do you think we would be talking about the sets the same or do you think that it's like the proximity that makes it disappointing? I think it's more like the fact that they are on the same uh, the same plane and they have similar mechanical themes. Like, you know, people certainly compared the the Shadows over Innistrad to the original Innistrad and decided it wasn't as good. So i I think it's more here. It's oh, this is like you know we got more tribal effects and we got more disturbed stuff it's just worse this time or or like you yeah. just didn't bother to put you know interesting powerful removal in this set the way you did with yeah. the previous one mm-hmm. that's kind of my intuition too i think that like if this had come out on its own but i think there is something to be said about like comparison i think it's really easy to compare it because it's two months later mm-hmm. <laughs> And and it does have so many of the same themes and most of the themes kind of fall flat. Like, I love that they brought back Disturb and hate how they brought it back, you know? Like, I don't want a creature to turn into an enchantment. I liked when the creature turned into a creature. Like, that was flavorful. That was cool. You could do a lot of stuff with it. In this version of it, where it's an enchantment on the backside, it's like, well, this goes in one deck, maybe, you know? Like, a deck might want this enchantment but now you have to go through the creature to get it, which is garbage. Like, like I, I appreciate the design space, and I think like they made some clever uh, enchantments, the double strike one, the unblockable one, et cetera, et cetera. But like, it really just, uh, just feels bad. <laughs> uh, I think a problem with it is like, I'll, 
because it's so many of them are concentrated in white, like white doesn't have ways to get things to the graveyard. Like you can't cheat it. Like if it was if these cards were red, this would actually be kind of compelling. Like, oh, I discard this to my thrill of possibility or to my wheel of fortune, and then I cast it out of the graveyard for value. Like if you can bypass that part, it's like, oh, this is fun gameplay and you get to feel big brain and and all that shit. But just like the colors chosen mm-hmm. prevent you from doing anything clever. And so that really kills a lot of these designs for me. I wanted to do like one little spiel about um about the precons if you're okay doing that, if you wanted yeah. to talk about that. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to move on to that. Um yeah, so that's my thoughts for the Crimson Vow as a whole, but uh I wanted to talk a little bit about the Crimson Vow precons while we're sort of on the that subject while we're on the topic of Crimson Vow. Um so I received my Crimson Vow precons and I got a chance to upgrade both of them and get some games in. And so if y'all are interested in like more in-depth thoughts on the precons, this is this is the time to hear it. So after upgrading the blue white spirit deck um i have been enjoying it greatly um it's really that the gameplay is really really reminiscent to like anawan the ruined thief uh, you're just playing a lot of you're, you're playing a lot of evasive dudes and your commander is just kind of getting you value off of them uh, a lot of the cards that work well in anawan the ruined thief work well here as well um work well here as well yeah um <laughs> Like uh, time warp effects are really good. Um, things like coastal piracy, those kinds of effects are really good. Uh, it, I've had a lot of fun playing with the deck. Um, and I also, but like notably, the quality of spirits is generally higher than the quality of rogues. Like in the rogue deck, you're running just a bunch of crappy 1 1 evasive creatures. Um, but in this deck, you actually get good things like Selfless Spirit and uh, like Spell Queller. There's just a, a lot of high-quality spirits that have been printed over the last couple of years. Um, so that has been fantastic. Honestly, like M- Millicent herself hasn't mattered a huge amount. Like she, she gets removed a lot, but it's also like, you know, really cheap to recast her. The extra tokens are nice but i think just like the spirit gameplay right now is is generally pretty good um i need to get some more games in but running a lot of evasive guys and drawing a lot of cards and keeping counter spells open all that is great strephon on the other hand i've only got in a couple games with him but one game just like made me feel dumb and not (laughs) because of like how i built the deck or how i played in the game it was more just like wow it was not a good idea to build this deck at all (laughs) because uh what happened was um so my streffen deck is a lot of like pingers just like things like brimstone trebuchet and a whole lot of ways to deal damage to either all my opponents at once or all players so that i'm able to like consistently get you know four like three or four blood tokens off of Streffen as soon as he hits the battlefield every time. So like I'm running a lot of those uh, and then I'm running a lot of like 
high CMC, powerful vampires, things that cost like five, six, seven. But what happened was I got cursed by, I got to look up the name because it's a, a really recent one. Oh yeah, um, the curse of, the, the one in the set boosters. Uh, yeah, I got cursed by Curse of Unbinding because my friend was playing a, a Lind curse deck. Um, so Curse of Unbinding is six and a blue for an aura curse enchant player. At the beginning of enchanted player's upkeep, that play over, player reveals cards from the top of their library until they reveal a creature card. Uh, put that card onto the battlefield under your control. That player puts the rest of the revealed cards into their graveyard. So uh, my opponent just cast this on me and they just flipped into a ton of like haymaker vampires. And it made me feel so, so dumb because like I was going through all of this trouble and playing so many bad cards. Like I had to get the brimstone trebuchet onto the battlefield. I had to get my commander onto the battlefield. Uh, I had to keep a bunch of blood around. Uh, I had to attack with my commander. And then my payoff is I get, you know, a necropolis region or whatever. Meanwhile, my opponent plays one card on me, one curse on me. Uh, and they don't have to do any of the hard work and they just get the cards for free. And it's like, I'm I'm doing way too much work for <laughs> uh for these these stupid vampires. Like they're they're good, but they're not great. And uh and just like building my deck in this way, um like I was ending the game with like one card in hand, maybe, uh, because I have to empty out you know, I'm I'm dropping all these vampires down. I'm dropping these like pingers down, and it felt like the deck needed a lot more card draw just to subsidize all the like kind of worthless aggressive stuff you're putting in. <laughs> uh, and it just didn't didn't feel great. I like the the one highlight of playing the deck was that like oval chase daredevil plus making a million blood is super fun. But yeah. I think you might be able to get that uh, experience better from like an Angie Falconrath deck or, or some other commander. I just um, wasn't super pleased with how the deck turned out. I, I just don't think the reward was worth all the, the effort. So I've played even less games than you, but I've seen some gameplay. Um, I've watched some stuff on the internet and um like through the decks i i've played unedited versions of the decks and i want to say that out of the box both decks play um and out of the box both decks they give you a lot of value and when strefin like does do a thing um if i was a new player i'd be super pumped about it um like cheating in an arcana revenant or a patron of the vein or something like that like like those are big plays that make you feel good cuz a big thing happens to the board and then all of a sudden like you're on another level than you were previous to that. So I th- I think your general assessment is correct um but I also think that like this is a pretty good place for a precon to be where it's like uh not completely warping um not taking over any particular build in particular like there, there's neither of these decks are um so strong that they couldn't print another like big vampire commander or spirit commander you know but they do accomplish a goal um i, I do think we need a better blood commander <laughs> than mm-hmm. angie at some point because blood is actually pretty cool and fun but like all of the blood cards are kind of underwhelming for 
your commander, honestly. Like, mm-hmm. I wish you were able to get blood from doing things that were a little bit more natural. Um, mm-hmm. Like dealing damage to each opponent, you either have to like be running a super aggressive deck or like or like sort of twist your deck around these weird cards um and like vampire tribal on the new angie is also super limiting i i kind of just wish you could get blood more cheaply with less of a hoop because really the hoop is like figuring out a way to use blood it shouldn't be figuring out a way to generate blood i think yeah (laughs) Yeah, which is kind of the biggest problem with blood because I think blood plays well once you have blood. Like obviously, like looting away cards you don't want is just going to be good for you. But the problem with blood is that like they make you work to get it, um, and then the rewards for having it are pretty bad. And then you kind of have to work for those too. So I wish it, the next time we see blood that there's a little bit easier to get it, and there's a little bit more to do with it. Um, think they were playing it really safe this time and you can really feel it <laughs> yeah um yeah like i i totally agree like having a bunch of blood is fun and with strefan i was able to get like you know 13 blood or something crazy like both games i played with him um but there is a point where it's just like oh i have three cards in hand and i've like sculpted it perfectly so i have no more use for the remaining 10 blood like I, I, you know, kept discarding all my excess lands and now I just have like three Primo removal spells and my blood doesn't do anything for me anymore. Kind of feel the same way as you. Um, but I, I do actually want to recommend like literally for new players. Like if you have a friend who's been wanting to get into magic, I think this is a great price point and a lot of value for what you are getting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would actually recommend either of these decks for like a very new player. Um, they give you enough staples that you're going to need to start playing in either of the colors. So I, I still like them. <laughs> and I'm still I'm still high on them, even though um, I think they need a little bit of finessing to, to really get going. So um, that's kind of it. That's kind of our Crimson Vow. We're going to stop talking about this set for now <laughs> until, until our next uh, uh, prediction set comes out. So... Um, let us know what you think about Crimson Vow. What cards are you playing with? What cards are your playgroup playing with? What were you really excited about that disappointed you? What disappointed you um, at first and now you're really excited about after seeing it work? Um, all that kind of stuff. We love hearing from everybody and and it makes our, our show better too. All right. Uh, with that, I want to give a brief thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Gustav, Ryan, Addison, Rick, Raphael, Laser. Kyle, Charlotte, The White Clays, Hannah, Andy, James, Logan, Roger, Evan, Bryce, Dylan, Benjamin, Jamie, Matthew, Jason, Kyle, Brandon, Kevin, Kaidel, Jeremy, Russell, Dylan, John, John, Micah, Troy, Roxanne, Brian, Charles, Daniel, Andrew, Leon, Jason, Paul, Johan, and Jonathan. Thank you all for supporting the show. And if you're not currently a Patreon patron but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr, and Zach is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check him out on SoundCloud. Until next time, we're going back to the drawing board. <laughs>